Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, is with us Friday mornings. Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. It's good to be back, more or less. I appreciate that. Good to have you on. Um, well, I asked you off the air if you could discuss some of the adventures of the last few days that you've enjoyed and uh, undertook. Uh, what could you tell us about traveling in an interesting part of the world? Well, um, I had uh, business meetings and spoke at a conference. It was this 200th anniversary of Greek independence and spoke on a forum together with the foreign ministers of Greece and Cyprus, but we met the president of Cyprus, the chairman of the chief of staff, the same with the prime minister of Greece. You know, we have many common interests. It's something we promoted for more than 10 years, the Mediterranean Initiative, that resulted in the Israel-Cyprus-Greece um, agreements, which have now are expanding, and we're finding many, many more countries interested in this uh, effort. But the ties between them are, are amazing, and the reception and the importance of our visit uh, can't be underestimated in showing solidarity and support uh, for our friends in the American Greek community who celebrated the 99th or 100th anniversary of their organization uh, at this uh, conference. But um, thank God we got there uh, <laughs> left before the forest fires uh, really hit. But the ties with Israel are amazing, and the... Um, um, prospects even even uh, better. And then I was in Morocco, where I also had very high-level meetings. And as you know, they, they opened the uh, liaison uh, offices, which will be upgraded to full embassies within two months, they announced yesterday, which is really a remarkable development. And uh, Morocco already had a uh, office in Israel, which they had since the Oslo Accords in '93, and they never left it. They kept it uh, all the time over all these years, 30 years, and now, of course, it's being upgraded to a full embassy. And it, there too, the ties are amazing. The flights from Israel daily, the multiple flights, in fact, and the um, you know their assessment of the situation is is like ours. There's an election coming up soon there, where hopefully the Muslim Brotherhood will be uh, uh, diminished uh, and removed from some of the key posts that they hold today. But the king still reigns, and he's done such amazing things for the Jewish community. You know, the, the when he went for the dedication of a, of a synagogue, he found out that the names of the streets had been changed from their Jewish names to neutral names. Yeah. And he ordered them all restored. <laughs> Amazing. And, and there are, the shuls operate openly and freely. The community is, is greatly diminished. Uh, but I think that they're, they're really looking forward to better times and with perhaps 200,000 visitors a year from Israel. Ironically, I think, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the Greek Jewish festival here in Lower Manhattan is this coming Sunday. I assume maybe it's tied in the same anniversary, etc., but uh, I didn't even realize that there was a presence still of a Greek-Jewish community uh, down here, but apparently there is a rich history, uh, to say the least. And I was laughing earlier when you alluded to, you know, the trip being hampered. You then went in the direction of the fires, which I wasn't aware of. That's a scary situation, but I thought you were heading in a COVID uh, uh, direction because I, I don't know if COVID at all, as it's doing to so many in the U.S. and Israel, I don't know if it affected your journey at all. Everything, everybody, the whole world is affected by it. There is no escaping it. The, um, the clampdowns coming in one country after another. I think the Morocco-Israel clampdown didn't come because of the Lapid visit. They were waiting for afterwards, and it's bound to happen there, too. 
um, because they find that isolation is uh, the only thing I know uh, in Australia. They're already on their sixth lockdown, and uh, still there's a spreading virus. Uh, and in Europe, it's it's um, it's very serious. There's very few countries where it isn't serious. Although we hope that because the rise is so sharp, the decline will be sharp also. I hope so. Uh, I know that that precedent was set in England, if I'm not mistaken. Israel kept mm-hmm. looking toward England in terms of that. But, India too, right? Um, I, I have to just uh, not that I like promoting anything in the New York Times, but I have to call to everyone's attention the article that Ezra Klein wrote in the opinion the opinion piece he wrote in last Saturday's New York Times because I I couldn't believe that such a sensible article about COVID appeared in the New York Times, frankly. Uh, and, and I think his theme, and again, I'm paraphrasing from my point of view what he was saying, but I, I think we've learned how to live with it, we've learned how to deal with it, and now we've got to live. And, and of course, you've heard about uh, the mask mandates for schools, both New York State and New Jersey. You heard what's going on in Florida, where certain synagogues have reinstituted mask mandates, something that they can't do in schools because the governor won't allow it. Uh, and it, it's just, I, I think... That with all this experience under our belts, and you've traveled internationally, you've seen how other countries have handled it as well, I, I think we might just have to get to a point where we've learned to live with it, now let's go and live with it. Am I just being frustrated, or am I making some sense here? I think both. I think you are frustrated like everyone, and for good reason, and at the same time, it, it makes sense that ultimately, um, and many scientists say that it will not go away, it right. will be light like food, and something we learn to live with, but right. as long as the uh, surges take place, and the and, and different age groups get affected. Until we really learn to cope with it, uh, I think the precautions are necessary. I don't think it's such an imposition to ask somebody to wear a mask, or you know, at, at times into. You know, and many countries, by the way, have more balanced uh, have balanced approaches where. Under certain circumstances, we stayed in beautiful hotels in Casablanca, Marrakesh, and Buznico, we were in Fez, and other places. And, you know, they they had uh, reasonable approaches. And in most countries today, you can't go into a hotel lobby without a mask. But when you're outside, uh, you, you're not required to wear one. And when right. I walked to Shul, which was a, a long walk, um, they didn't require us to wear a mask. In the Shul, everybody, mo- no, actually in the Shul, they did not wear masks, uh, most of the people. But the um, but in public places they do well. So. None of that seems to bother me. The part that bothers me um, um, most strikingly is the kids, the That's children right, and grandchildren yeah. who have to be in school, both in formal class and in the social atmosphere of school, and have masks on. I just I don't know. Right. It, it seems like it, 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 I don't know why I think it's detrimental to them in the long run, but it just it's that feeling you get when you're a person of faith that this is not <laughs> what's meant to be. Um, and, and that's why when these uh, restrictions were handed down and the mask mandates were reinstated, it just I felt we were going backwards on the whole issue. But and many people and many children lost a year or a little yeah, bit part of, of a year course. of their education, and that that really is intolerable. Uh, kids have a, a lot of resilience, we yeah. know, but and you don't the num- want to jeopardize and the num- them. And the numbers bear it out, but right. uh, by by the way, you mentioned uh, about the the what did you call it? What, what's the what's the agreement? Would you said with uh, Greece and Cyprus? You you had it had a no, name. It, that's our initiative. It's right, the Mediterranean the, initiative. Right, Mediterranean there's, initiative. There's so, an agreement, but there is a tripartite agreement between Israel. Many multiple aspects of it. And by the way, with Morocco, that's a five. There are five agreements signed in every area: agrotech, our research and development, uh, economic smart. development. They're smart. They're doing a lot to take, and there's a lot to take advantage. You know that trade with the UAE went from almost nothing 
to uh, $570 million and will go up to a billion this year and they probably are. $3 billion in two years. They are betting on a winning horse. Simple as that. Um, yeah, speaking of the UAE, so yesterday Rabbi Sarna was on. Today is the one-year anniversary of the Abraham Accords. And I'm, i got to ask you this, Malcolm. I asked him as well. Uh, we were on with, uh, this is by chance that this happened, that we found out, and I may have mentioned this too in the last few weeks, um, that now there is a daily mincha minion on Harabayat. There's a daily mincha minion on the Temple Mount. How it happens without Sidurim and what the restrictions are and who's looking away and not, it, it, we'll, we'll save for another time. Uh, but the, one of the when I heard this, I started investigating with some of the people I know are very involved with the Temple Mount situation, who feel it's important to be there, both from a spiritual aspect and from a political aspect, to show that we have, we in fact are those, or Israel, I should say, are those who have sovereignty over the Temple Mount. Um, so I, I I asked what they thought how how this developed, and they said, you know, I think it has a lot to do with the Abraham Accords. When certain people saw, meaning leaders in the Arab world saw that there could be this warm peace between Israel and the UAE, a peace that you'll recall the media thought would result in tremendous explosions of riots and uh, protests against Jews in Israel, etc. And, of course, none of that ever developed. Uh, When this happened with the Abraham Accords, it created a situation where certain people realized that there can be a warm peace even on a place like the Temple Mount. I'm curious what you think of that theory. Um, I don't have any evidence that that is uh, what is behind it. Quite the opposite. We we see that um, tighter restrictions, Jordan expanding its role. It was disclosed this week that I think, I'm not sure of the exact number, 700 or 800 people are listed as working uh, at Al-Aqsa for the Jordanians, for the WACS, which is the Muslim Trust that controls it. And the tensions there remain. Uh, so I don't know that there, uh, maybe it's a governmental change in Israel, but uh, I don't, a policy change, but I don't believe that the, the Abraham Accords necessarily extended to that. I do think that they have a broader impact that many people in the PA, many Palestinians are looking at this and saying, you know, once again, we're being left behind from uh, from the progress. And, you know, Israel is increased by 15,000 work permits um, to people from uh, uh, the West Bank Palestinians for construction and 1,000 for hotel industries, and they're going to increase um, uh, the 120,000 uh, employment uh, permits. So th- there are changes that are taking place that are done quietly and, and um make an impact. I think also with the Saudi Arabia with contacts that uh, we don't talk about, but you saw Saudi Arabia arrested 69 members of Hamas uh, and uh, Jordanian members and supporters, Palestinian and Jordanian members and supporters of, of Hamas. And uh, they were arrested a couple of years ago, but they were all now sentenced to terms of three to 21 years. And the, the, um, you know, the growing recognition of the mutual interests and with the increase in stability, like Tunisia today, um, Libya, of course, is, is a mess, but um, we see that the, uh, the removal of the Enhada, which is a more moderate Islamist party, but an Islamist party nonetheless, is being celebrated in a lot of the Arab world as a step towards uh, bringing back the secular governments. There are so many changes that are taking place and so many things um that could influence it. There are a lot of people who feel Morocco should play more of a role, the king being a descendant of Muhammad in in, uh, in the Temple Mount. Uh, they have an official role on behalf of the, um, I think of the OIC, the uh, Organization of Islamic Unity or, or Arab League, one of the two. 
have an official standing, but the um, you know the general policies and the increasing role that Turkey plays there, playing for the demonstrations, you know, instigating uh, problems. We should, um, you, you know, the Abraham Accord is not a panacea for all of these issues. Right. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, but it does feel it feels like based on your reaction that in the abstract there might be something to it. Obviously, not in a practical sense, but in the mm-hmm. abstract, it, might, yeah. it, it creates a certain atmosphere. It's had atmospheres it right. changes. You're right, and the um, and you know more and more people are seeing the PA is just a corrupt, right. a useless uh, vehicle, and um, you know the the, um, the policies that follow the the people sometimes, and sometimes people. In, impact the policy, and I think that there's a change in much of the Palestinian areas, although it's not manifest in the greater love for Israel as much as it is resentment against their own regime and against the people who are running. And again, the election put off, and the uh, right. they see that the rest of the how so many in the Arab world are benefiting from these exchanges. Uh, the, these direct talks that Israel's in with Saudi. Uh, with Saudi Arabia to fight Iran that we read about this week. Is that revolutionary? That's happened plenty of times before. There have always been quiet contacts for a long time. I can tell you personally, they go back more than 10 years. Or, uh, but um, the, I wouldn't overestimate the, the value at this time, That meaning that it won't lead necessarily to Saudi Arabia being the next country to join. Right. But I think all of the contacts, all of the cooperation against Iran, which is essential, giving its more provocative position in and attacking the ship, the Mercer Street, and others, other actions in the Gulf, and of course outside of the Gulf, that the, these countries that face a common enemy, they're working together, uh, it's very critical. And Saudi Arabia is an important component, and frankly, the the potential of uh, on economic level and other levels between Saudi Arabia and Israel are really very great. They recognize it, but I think as long as the king is alive, we're not going to see uh, public progress. Uh, Has Israel officially retaliated quite... for the uh, Marshall Street episode? Has Israel officially blamed Iran? No, re- re- retaliated for the... No, uh... there's been no official retaliation, although... Both the U.S., U.K., Romania, Israel have publicly uh, identified it, the EU. There have been threats of uh, retaliation, uh, but nothing specific, although there have been um, additional actions against uh, a ship that was in the port in, in Syria that we don't know who did that. And Israel is having a more difficult time because Russia has shifted its policy and did launch missiles. Uh, and so Israel's uh, answer to a lot of the provocations, meaning the shipments of weapons that go through Syria, will have to be done by missile, by other means, uh, if the Russians, in fact, have made a change in their policy. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, at com, on the Single Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. A special hello to those who are listening on Naki Radio. Thank you for adding the Single Network to your list of stations that you tune into on a regular basis, and those numbers continue to increase like crazy, which we appreciate. Please keep in mind Chaim Shmuel ben Leia Yocheved having surgery on Monday. Chaim Shmuel ben Leia Yocheved, and your help with that is greatly appreciated. And uh, those of you who would like to sponsor our Elul Shofar blowing, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and click on Sponsorship Opportunities, support us, and sponsor the Elul Shofar blowing Sunday 
through Friday. All right, we haven't spoken in a couple of weeks, so let's get to a couple of items that uh, are, are really pressing and have made big headlines. What's happening up north? Is this a different type of Hezbollah offensive against Israel as compared to some of the smaller ones that have happened within the last couple of years? We don't know yet completely, but uh, Hezbollah has built up its capacity. It is today the dominant force in Lebanon. Clearly, the economic collapse of the country, Lebanon is no longer uh, what we know. It's probably not even a a state that, in its full definition, the government there is not in control. And the Hariri, the prime minister, resigned. The uh, economic conditions, as I said, are, are horrific. The people have been demonstrating. They demonstrate against Hezbollah. Yeah, that was, wasn't that new? Wasn't that, you know, I, I don't remember the Lebanese taking to the streets the way they did in this case. There have been sporadic demonstrations at different times, but it is growing. First of all, they had the demonstration because nobody was held accountable, or there's been very little action uh, as a follow-up to the port explosion, and the first-year anniversary was last week. But the demonstrations against Hezbollah, the demonstrations by the Druze from whose area they launched the missiles against Israel, where they attacked the people, the the, uh, Hezbollah guys, and Israel bombed the road, which meant that the Hezbollah could no longer uh, use that as a, as a launching site. But the, the fact that the people are, are very concerned, they don't want a war with Israel, and the retaliation is very worrisome. You know, Hezbollah has done a lot, including um, setting up their own supermarket, so unless you're affiliated with them, you don't get access to food, and there is a shortage of food, there's a shortage of everything in, in uh, Lebanon today. And with a non-functional government and the Hezbollah, doing what it does everywhere, which is they, they, uh, everything goes for them and, and they exploit it. Uh, there is a backlash, and we've seen increasing expressions of it and fear on the part of people in the South. By the way, the Syrian situation is deteriorated in Dara, which was the source of the initial revolution. Now we're seeing fighting between the government forces and Syrian rebels. This was an area where Russia had negotiated a ceasefire. That's broken down. We see the attempt still to cross the border periodically. There was a, a today a, a, a drone. I don't think it was armed that was uh, sh- uh, captured by Israel, fired from Hezbollah territory. Hezbollah says, well, it's not them. It's Hamas. It's others who are doing it. And Israel is saying, you're responsible. This is your, you're in charge. And the Lebanese government, obviously, in charge. The, um, uh, sometimes the Lebanese armies take some steps um, against it. But overall, what we're seeing there is a very sad situation. It's, uh, it poses a danger because any time it can escalate, neither side wants it to do that now. Israel has been restrained. Both of them fired, for instance, at one point into open areas um, to send a message, but not to, to um, you know, they didn't want to escalate with people dying. Then you have a tit for tat and it keeps going up. Uh, they, the, um, uh, Hezbollah says that they have the capacity. We know they have this underground network of tunnels where they can move people. I mean, did you, did, did, you see, did you see those pictures? You can get 3000 a month in Manhattan for that space. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I never, I mean, I know we've seen photos before. But I mean, it's just—it's remarkable what they're able to build underground. And and but all this money is going instead of for food, instead of for medicine, yep. instead of for everything yep. else. And Iran, you know, had to cut back because of the economic conditions, somewhat on its aid to to them. They 
still engage in all sorts of criminal activities, Hezbollah and smuggling and, uh, and stealing oil and selling, uh, all sorts of things that they do at there and around the world. I mean, the Hezbollah is active in South America, it's active in Africa, and the funding goes to, to, the, to their terrorist uh, uh, activities. And with Iran now under tremendous economic pressure and domestic the demonstrations, the, the uh, you know, change of government election, but look who got elected. So there's no reason to anticipate yeah. that the people who are very close to Hezbollah, one of them being the liaison, one of the, the new interior minister being one of those five wanted for the bombings of the AMIA, the Jewish Community Center in Argentina in 94, uh, very, very hard line, very uh, closely tied to Hezbollah. Uh, when when we see the Lebanese demonstrations, you know what's going on in Iran, and there's so many other places where 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 the people seem to be rising up. I don't know. There just seems to be an atmosphere of we're not going to take it anymore. You know, it was decades that we've been duped uh, by terrorist organizations and and you know somewhat type of types of government. Uh, into you know hating Israel, uh, spending our money and taking all the public money to you know do what's necessary to defend ourselves against Israel and to attack Israel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now it seems like the people have just had it. Now I don't know if this is something that happens you know, on a cyclical basis, and you know it's happened a million times over the last thirty, forty years. But it just seems that there's an atmosphere in these countries now that the people feel they've been duped and they've had enough. That is true in many parts, and especially amongst a lot of the Palestinians who, who know that the government is a kleptocracy, which is why many don't want to give aid, and the PA will sacrifice its people. Right now, Qatar wants to send money to a list approved by Israel uh, for salaries in, in Gaza, and they said no. They don't want any money going to anybody with Hamas, and therefore they're holding up the money, and yet I'm sure Israel uh, will, will uh, take the blame for it. Yeah. But we see the escalation there and the the periodic shooting of missiles. It doesn't mean that it's an organized effort, but people have to be held to account. And the fact is that 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 there is no accountability. The the uh, Arab Spring, so-called, the Arab Revolution, continues, and I, uh, that's why I cited what's going on in Tunisia, which the Arab world is looking at. But we have elections in a number of countries taking place. We'll see the outcome where if people are prepared to go to the ballot and vote as they feel. Many of them are intimidated, many are afraid, but I think that that is changing. I think you are right that there there could be the beginning of, of um, more significant change, um, but a lot depends on two things. One is Iran and one is Turkey. Both of them are stimulating problems. Um, Iran's provocations uh, get worse and worse, and the, uh, the cyber attacks, which we don't even have time to go into, the internal demonstrations are Incredible, and yet the West doesn't do anything to support them, to help the people who want to, who are marching in the streets, yelling, "We will not die for Gaza, we will not die for Hezbollah, we will die for Iran," which they said a few years ago at the Green Revolution, and we ignored them. And now again, these people are putting their lives on the line, and very little uh, response. Raisi, on his first day, the new uh, president, received the leaders of the Palestinian terror organizations, including Khania. With Raisi now in power, is there less likely for a nuclear deal with the United States, or, it's, or him being in power, it's irrelevant? No, it's not irrelevant at all. I do think that it's less likely, or it may take longer. The feeling of part of some is that they want to stall. I know that 
the CIA head was in Israel this uh, this week, and the reports are that he he indicated, or members of his party indicated, they don't believe Iran wants a deal right now, and will delay, and they'll they'll try to leverage it, of course. But uh, you know, if they get support from China, Russia, if they get um, he ideologically would be opposed to any deal with the West. He's very extreme. Uh, the, the, Everybody is a hardliner in the government, including Rouhani and the others. But these guys, you know, it's like Ahmadinejad. They, they, there are no covers. They say it and they mean it. And this is uh, something we have to to watch. And especially their increased use of these drones, suicide drones, as they did on the Mercer, and the ability to hit right in the pilot's house means that they have good surveillance. Uh, so I think we ought to be supporting the demonstrations inside an Israeli submarine. I know passed through the Suez Canal. I don't know what it means, but just take note of that. Um, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the. Um, um, now I lost my train of thought. Uh, uh, no, it was a submarine, not a train. <laughs> I got it. Um, uh, anyway, uh, what do you, I mean? One of the uh, things that's happened over the last couple of weeks that uh, I, I think the U.S. should be ashamed about. You and I spoke about it when I brought up the issue of the translators and others who worked for the U.S. in Afghanistan. I mean, they have they. If someone posted today on Twitter, it'll be ironic to see a Taliban flag hanging in Kabul on the 20th anniversary of 9/11. Are we heading in that direction? Absolutely. And and Kabul could fall, some say a month, some say two months. I think that's why we're seeing this emergency action by the United States. I think that the, the question of how we withdrew will, will be a big subject and certainly become, I'm sure, a political football. Um, the um, uh, Even the Iranians, by the way, are very worried about it now because they have a long border and you know, they, they, they found safe haven in Iran at times. Uh, the leaders of... Um, uh, the leaders from Kabul and uh, of the Taliban, but uh, they're worried about it, and every country should be worried because this is such an extremist terrorist entity being the head of, a, of being in control of a country, though a poor and really a very needy country, but it becomes a base of operation. So this is, and uh, with a guy like Raisi there and with others, one can't assume what the next steps will be, what the outcome of all of this. And yet, when Raisi gets installed, the EU sends a representative who stands next to him at it. It just it makes no sense that these, these it's suicidal uh, attitudes on the part of the West, of the European countries and others, and everybody always trying to find the good in it and trying to you know whitewash the real threats. I mean, none of these things needed to happen. We could have stopped a lot of them short. But we yeah. always wait until we're facing a, a crisis and a, an overwhelming situation. But, but I focus even more. Maybe it's the uh, the the, uh, the idealist in me. I, I focus even more on the. Uh, you and I have spoken for decades on this show. You know how many times we've pointed out how the U.S. has abandoned other countries that they promised to support, that they promised to help. Uh, I mean, I know now they're you know talking about going back in and you know sending troops, etc., to try to. Um, uh, try to calm the situation down, but it just seems that I mean Israel's done the same thing if we think about it, but that's a separate issue. Um, but it, it, there's just too many times that the U.S. makes a commitment to be there for another country, and then it leaves with egg on its face. At least that's the way I feel. Look, it happens, but uh, but what's more important right now, I think, in the Middle East is, or as important, right. is the perception that the United States is, is right. withdrawing its commitment. And right. you, I heard that throughout the conference meetings that I had in the last few weeks, and you hear it regularly, uh, in a sense, it enhances Israel's significance. Yep. 
because they look more to Israel for because of their security concerns, especially about Iran. Um, uh, the United States still does have a presence, and you saw the uh, USS Ronald Reagan um, moved uh, after the bombing of the the ship, the Mercer Street. But the the perception creates reality there. Uh, we cannot abandon the Middle East, and as much as we, China is an important issue, an important threat, and we need the resources for, for it, we have to understand the Middle East is still the fulcrum, and the, there are dynamic changes. The, the aftershocks of the revolutions uh, are, are still going on, maybe even as significantly, and there are so many potential changes. And when we send a message that we coddle Iran, that we that the EU sends a representative at the installation of a guy who killed allegedly five thousand people, and uh, has a government of the most extreme nature. It sends the wrong message to them. They feel they're alone then, and they're abandoned, and they, it does force them, and it does encourage them to to look for other allies, including um, becoming more dependent on Israel. This is why I was going to ask you before, because you had mentioned China, and that's what triggered in my in my mind that I, I don't know if you could do this in a minute or two, but I'm reading all these articles, or at least I'm seeing the headlines. If I read the articles, maybe I'd know more about uh, you know people who fear that Israel's choosing the wrong side in the China-U.S. battle. First of all, what battle are they talking about, and what role will Israel have in the future of that battle? So. That's a very complex question, and uh, not for a one-minute answer. But <laughs> the the battle is ongoing. It's economic. It's military. It's security. It's in the uh, Pacific. It's uh, China's aggressive actions all over. It's supporting they support Iran. They have built a base in Iran. To now. the degree that Russia sometimes does, it's that deep of a support. I mean, it, I didn't it, realize that. Is it as deep a support as when Russia, you know, puts their faith behind Iran or puts their resources behind Iran? Yeah, Russia really doesn't put much resources behind anything. They 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 do this all in a shoestring because their economic situation is very bad. Its economy can't support it. China is has this expansive role through the Belt and Road Initiative, where they are building a presence. They're also incurring incurring huge debt on the part of other governments who owe them fortunes for which they will collect. They also go into countries like Africa, and I heard this from African leaders again recently, you know, they buy huge swaths of land, and they take everything out to, to feed their people. So they're looking for food, they're looking for energy, they're looking for political clout, and they do it very quiet. The Russians do things openly, like right. Syria. Although, you know, they had never had more than two dozen planes in Syria, and they have very limited presence. And they, they depend upon, you know, they bolster the Syrian forces, and they use Iran and Turkey against each other and, and you know, to, to force their goals, which primarily keeping Assad in power. The Chinese build economic dependency. They, you know, Haifa port, other things. They're doing it in Israel. And... There are many people in the United States, and the American government was very upset, and they said that the Sixth Fleet wouldn't call us Haifa if, if China, uh, because they use it to gain intelligence, they use it for uh, nefarious purposes as well. So the warning to you Israel... You can't ignore China, but just one point, that Israel can't be expected to break ties and say that we're not right. going to deal with China. There's a lot of exchanges. There's almost every week a delegation of China in Israel. They bought companies, they, they do a lot of joint economic uh, development. Right. But China's goal is to take whatever resources they can back. So the warning is what? Israel, just be wary of China? Like you're, you're, you're getting into bed with them with a lot of deals, negotiations, things that are happening in your own country. Just be careful. Like that's the warning? I think that that's an initial warning and that you don't do anything that comp could compromise your security. 
Right. And at the same time, you know, economic and social and intellectual exchanges uh, are valid. But you do it with both eyes wide open and with an understanding that not every deal, even if it is lucrative, is good in the long term. Uh, it's certainly that there are wary eyes. But but we do the same. The West Western countries are doing the exact same thing that they uh, sometimes don't like when Israel does it. But it's, um, you know, it, it is a concern that, that they have to have. And, you know, Russia... Uh, doesn't have is expanding its footprint. It's now in Libya. It's in Syria. These are things that even the Tsars didn't achieve. Um, bases on the Mediterranean, uh, and he does it with a shoestring. Uh, Putin is very clever. And if the Russians and Chinese, because their interests really do diverge, they right. they're worried about each other but cooperate against the West. What do you think of the rule in Israel about a third shot if you're over sixty years old? I think that it's, it seems to be validated, and you, you people who are vulnerable and have uh, special uh, needs and, and concerns, it's something that so far all the doctors and people I've spoken to indicate that they think it's valid. Israel canceled a bunch of entry permits this week. Uh, they seem to be heading in the restriction direction. What do you think Yuntif's going to look like in Israel? And I'm not even talking about for tourists. I'm talking about for Israelis. Israelis, it won't be so bad. The hotels, I can tell you, have sent notices to people I know over the last couple of days canceling reservations. Uh, I had planned to go, and we canceled all our reservations. Uh, Do you need a place, Malcolm? I might have some space here in Lower Manhattan for you. Oh, I may take you up on it, and <laughs> together with uh, thirty members of my family. But the, the um, uh, no, but seriously, this is—it's a very serious thing when the economic impact on the hotels. That this is now the second year where people can't go. I know people call all the time because they can't get permits. You, you see now, yeah. unless you want to quarantine, it's not a good idea unless there's an emergency situation. Yeah. I hope all the kids going to seminaries will, and yeshivas will, will be able to do so uh, right now. I think so, and then they may have to lock down for a few days when they get there. That's no burden. Um, but I think tourism is going to take a big hit and that until October, November, we're, we're not going to see a real opening. But isn't it funny that, you know, if you go back to last September or last August, we were saying the same thing. Hopefully October, November, hopefully, you know, December, January, hopefully February, March. But a lot of hopefullys that we've been doing. But I, all you can do is hope at this point. And, and they've introduced new restrictions, and it's not unlikely that we're going to be back to outdoor mignon and, uh, um, here, too. There may be additional restrictions. Nobody knows at this point, um, but when, don't be shocked by it. And it's funny, because yesterday we actually postponed um, a bunch of broadcasts we were supposed to do uh, down in Florida, and everybody on the call was like, okay, it'll happen in October. And I'm like, how do we know it's going to happen in October? <laughs> it it could be a million times worse, God forbid. I mean, this thing ain't going away. This thing ain't going away. And just like people have learned to live with a lot of different things over the centuries, including in the 20th century a bunch of times, I think we've got to learn to live with this as if, it, you know, again, everyone read that Ezra Klein article. You'll see some sensible, balanced approach to the whole thing. Anyway, that, that is something that is often lacking, and people go for easy uh, answers, uh, officials, I mean. And we saw some ridiculous enforcements, you know, where they went around to yeshivas that were closed and were finding them. Right. And the, um, you know, I think for the most part, people were compliant. I think of people, you know, when, when I read about, you know, in some of the incidents on planes, that people didn't want to wear a mask. Well, you got to wear a mask on a plane. That's the bottom line. Don't, don't blame them for what they do when, when an instance, uh, it instigates something. We have to just comply right now. And, and if it means an ounce of prevention, 
for a pound of cure is it's worth it. And especially now, I worry that the children are getting more uh, of this, although still mild, and people who are inoculated get much more mild cases from everything that I've read. Uh, although the the spikes, and especially in Israel, where everybody, uh, what, 80% are inoculated, right. is a good laboratory where people are studying how what, what works and what doesn't, and why the third vaccination now is being recommended because they see that after six months it begins to weaken. Uh, before I let you go, I'll get uh, I'll get criticized over Shabbos, but I want to ask you for your reaction to what happened in Albany this week. What happened in Albany? <laughs> oh, you were in Morocco. You don't know, huh? <laughs> I don't have to know anything about Albany. And uh, uh, look, it's you know we want stability. Um, Ms. Hochul has good ties to the Jewish community, to people in the Jewish community. That's true. Um, it shall be an interim. Uh, I think that you you know. The um, look, nobody should re- re- regale whether you like Cuomo, you didn't like Cuomo, whether you care about the Democrats, Republicans, whatever. It's not good for the state. It's not good for anyone when you have this kind of instability. Right. And um, hopefully now things will calm down and till the election, and, and the election now will really get started for governor. Yeah, to say the least. And we haven't even elected a mayor yet. <laughs> That's 100% true. Um, uh, I assume we're on a regular schedule. Speak to you, Bezrat okay. Hashem, next Friday. Bezrat Hashem, we are back to what what we call normal. Yeah. I'm not sure that it qualifies. But, Please, uh, God. But I was in Baltimore for the wedding of a, of a grand, my grandniece has made a wedding. Mazalto. Wedding. And I want us to thank the people who are listeners from Baltimore Woo! who came up and said that they... They would they never miss the, the show, they said. The last two weeks. Yeah, exactly. They criticized you, right? They called you they, out they, as the expression very, very goes. Critical. They called you out. So how dare you be traveling? And, <laughs> but it was the time zone, not my fault. Yeah, that's true. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos, and you I thank too. you for joining us. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for what we call the weekly update here at JM in the AM.